Let's all stand up, let's pray, let's get right into the Word of God here this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have of gathering together to worship you, to study your Word. We thank you now as I come to teach that I do not have to depend on limited human abilities to teach, but I do depend completely on you, Spirit of God. Therefore, I know that you anoint my mind, that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from my heart within. Thank you for supernatural recall of the Scripture. And I believe that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, your power, and your love to each person's mind. Bring understanding and moving confusion. That your will enter every person's heart, bringing faith, dispelling every fear. And we'll be careful to give you alone the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today. In Jesus' name, and all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to welcome Prophet Ed Trout this morning. How are you, dear brother? Good to see you. And your family. Nice to have them all with you. Wow, look at that. Almost taking over the whole north wing over there. All right, praise God. Well, we continue with our subject. This is part four in our series. The Sword of the Spirit. The Sword of the Spirit. Now, as I said before, of all the weapons mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6, included in the armor of God that we are to be wearing in facing the enemy, only one of those weapons is offensive. All the others are defensive. The sword of the Spirit is our offensive weapon. And unfortunately, there has not been enough teaching on the sword of the Spirit in Christian circles. And uh, the challenge with that is that we don't know how to be offensive in the spirit realm. Now, we need to be aggressive in the spirit realm, not in the natural. In the natural realm, we walk in the love of God, right? We walk in the love of God. We love everybody. We love our enemies, right? But in the spiritual realm, we have to take authority over the demon spirits that try and harass us. Now, say this with me. If I can take authority over the spiritual forces in the atmosphere around me, the demons and evil spirits, I can control and dominate the natural realm. Now, I have, this is part four. I'm going to do some refreshing before we go on because we need all that. And uh, I'm going to recommend that you go back if you haven't, and watch part one, two, and three in the series. At the end of this message, I'm going to tell you some very <clears throat> interesting stories of practically how to do what we're going to be studying from the Bible. So you'll see how it works in the natural. <clears throat> Excuse me. Also, in the previous lessons, one, two, and three, I shared some very, very interesting, powerful stories. So I want you to go back if you haven't seen it, and watch it. And if you have watched it, then go back and watch it again, because this is very important. We live in a world now where more than ever, we need to know how to deal with demonic spirits. All right, 
So notice exactly where the powers of darkness are in relation to the throne of Christ, okay? Notice exactly where the powers of darkness are in relation to the throne of Christ. Let's see that in Ephesians 1 verse 20. God raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. So we see that God raised Christ from the dead and placed Him at His right hand on Christ's throne next to the Father's throne. And He is placed there above all principality and power, might and dominion. There is no authority or power or influence on earth or in the universe or in heaven that can compare with that of Christ. Now, <clears throat> I must make this clear that in the beginning was God the Word. God the Word. And the Word, this is John 1, 1. And the Word was with God, and the Word Himself was God. You can see that in John chapter 1, verse 1. And all things were made by Him. Nothing was made except it was made by Him, by Christ. Christ has always been in existence along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Christ left heaven, came to earth, entered the womb of Mary, received a human body, walked the earth, and was known as a man called Jesus. But for those who were discerning, they realized He was Jesus, the Christ, in a human body. Right? The name Jesus was given for His humanity. Christ is the anointed one, deity. He was perfect man, perfect God in one man, in one person on the earth. But he laid aside his godly powers, did not function with his godly powers, was dependent on the Holy Spirit to function on the earth. That's why no miracles were seen in his life until the Spirit of God came on him as he came out of the waters of baptism when John put him in the River Jordan. So after that, when the Spirit of God came upon him, you'll see supernatural signs, wonders, miracles in the books of the Bible, or the, uh, John says, all the books on earth could not contain the miracles that he performed in the three and a half years. But before that, not one miracle is recorded because he was a man, came as a man, to die as a man, to pay the price for man's sin, to redeem man. Okay? Now, as a man, he conquered Satan, death, sickness, poverty, hell, everything on our behalf and rose back to where he was at the right hand of God. He never needed to do that for himself. He did none of that for himself. It wasn't necessary. He didn't need that for himself. He did all that for you and me in our place. He did all that for you and me in our place, right? So... Because he laid aside his deity to do this on our behalf as a man, as a man he was honored and put back next to Father's throne and given great authority as a man. As a man, he earned that great authority. 
and power. Now watch this. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Now, where is the church in relation to the throne of God? Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up together with Christ and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. So God raised the church at the same time He raised Christ to sit at His right hand. We are seated in Christ at the right hand of God. That's our positional truth. Our positional truth. Positional truth and natural truth are two different truths. In the natural, you're sitting here. But in position, as God sees you, He sees you sitting in Christ at the right hand next to His right hand. That's your position. God sees you there. In other words, God sees you with all that authority. Because the right hand of the Father is the, is the greatest authority in the universe. And that's where you're seated. Okay? See, Christ is the head. You are the body. The body of Christ. The church worldwide is a body. The body. Christ the head. We're the body. We're one man, one spirit, one body, one flesh, bone of his bone, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that's where we got to see ourselves when dealing with the devil. When talking to the devil and circumstances, you've got to see yourself where God sees you. You've got to see yourself where God sees you. Because God sees you there because He paid for that. God paid for that. That's why He sees you there. We need to see ourselves there. And ignorance is our greatest problem. The greatest lack in the church worldwide is ignorance, an unrenewed mind. Because if we don't know what God's done for us, God said in Isaiah 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Amen? But if you understand what God's done for you, you can function in this world with spiritual authority. All right. So as far as God is concerned, your position is in Christ, far above all authority, all ability, all power, and all Satan demonic forces. So now as we have learned, we remember that we help God or work with God to carry out His work on the earth. See, in fact, Christ can't do anything on the earth except He does it through the church. Say that to me, Christ cannot do anything on earth except He does it through His people. You see, if God, if Christ was going to operate in this world independently of His people to solve the world's problems, then the world's problems would have been solved by now. If God was just going to stop the devil without the church, He would have done it by now, Right? The reason why the devil's running amok in our world today is because we, his hands and feet, are not allowing him to do what he needs to do. We're not taking charge in the spirit realm because of ignorance. Amen? We need to be educated in these things. All right, so 
Christ is the head, we are the body. Christ will never be able to do His work apart from us, and we can never have any kind of success apart from Him, for sure. We can never be successful in this life without Him, right? You see, some folks think they're successful without Christ, but when we stand before Him one day, He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the into the joy of the Lord. So, if we have not heard those words, we're not going to be successful. I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care how many gold medals you've won at the Olympic Games. You're just not successful if you don't hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? Amen. All right, so, let's carry on reading then from Ephesians chapter 1. Go to verse 22. And God has put all things under Christ's feet. And God gave Christ to be head over all things to the church. So God gave Christ, let's, let's remember this now, Christ left, his heaven, left, left heaven, went to earth, entered the womb of Mary, received a human body, died, rose again, conquered the devil, sat down. God gave him all this authority, all authorities given to him. There's none left over. All given to Christ. And God did that and then gave him as a gift to us. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave Christ to be head over all things to the church. So that God gave Christ as a gift to us, the believers. So who is the church? God gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Which is his body. That's what it says. So that the body of Christ is the church. So the worldwide believers together make up Christ's body, which he works through. Okay. Now, go to Ephesians 1.22 again. In the New Living Translation, I love the way they, uh, the New Living Translation brings this out of the Greek. So remember, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew originally, and the, New, and the New Testament written in Greek, right? So now the Greek original writings have been translated into many languages around the world and many different translations in the English language as well. But the New Living Translation really brings out the Greek beautifully here, It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and made Christ head over all things for the benefit of the church. For the benefit of the church. I like that expression. So, all right. So, say this. God exalted Christ and gave Him all that authority for the benefit of the church. For my benefit. So, say this. All Christ's authority is available to me for my benefit. Now, that's not necessary. Well, we're going to use Christ's authority in heaven, but that's not where the battle is, family. The battle is down here. This is our Canaan's land, right? We are conquering the enemies, taking possession of our inheritance down here. The giants of Canaan are down here, right? To try and stop us, 
from walking in the fullness of what Jesus paid for on the cross. Right? Amen. Amen. Moving along. We don't have to wrestle against the forces of darkness in our own strength, struggling in our own ability. That's never going to work. So stressing and struggling is not going to give you victory in this life. Right? When we are stressing and struggling, then we're not walking in faith. Because the Bible said, they that have believed have entered into rest. I have to watch out for this condensation from this air conditioner. So I'm going to have a shower here in a minute. But um, so um, the, they that have believed have entered into rest. So if I'm not resting, if I'm not in peace, then I'm struggling, I'm not walking in faith. But if I'm depending on God, you see that? <laughs> then I know, <laughs> just missed that one. So then I, if I'm depending on God and I know all is well, then I have peace and rest. See that? Okay. God desperately wants us to exercise our authority by using the name of Jesus so that God can deal with the demons and the evil spirits that are harassing this world who try and carry out their plans in the earth. Satan and demons are trying to carry out their plans in the earth. Well, what is his plan? What is his agenda? Well, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, uh, you can read this in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation and Thessalonians and very other places. Satan's agenda is to bring about a one world government. A one world government. All countries submit to the United Nations and then they vote in a one world president and sent, then, Satan, the, then Satan enters that man and he's called the Antichrist. And he rules the world, becomes a world dictator worse than Hitler, Stalin, and Mussolini. And uh, he turns the human race into slaves and he forces them to, make, to take a mark of the beast, the 666 Antichrist mark of the beast. No one can buy or sell without it. All this is Bible prophecy. And the reason he wants to do that is so that he can, because anybody who takes that mark declares that they totally depend on the Antichrist for survival, and they change gods. They no longer serve Christ, they serve the Antichrist, Satan. He wants to, the devil, wants to control the people of this world and so that Christ doesn't reap the harvest that he died for. He died for the lost souls of men and women, but the devil wants to hijack all that. Okay? That's his plan. But he's going to burn in hell forever. He's going to burn in hell forever. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming soon. You might not have heard it, but it's called the rapture. Jesus is coming soon. I'm still one of those old preachers like Prophet Ed Trout that believe that Jesus is coming soon. I know some modern theologians don't believe that, but he is. He's coming soon. And this is the age now we're in a time of persecution, and it's a time of separation of the wheat from the chaff, Matthew 13. You'll see that. 
God's taking out of his kingdom, Matthew 13, I believe it's verse 26. Jesus is taking out of his kingdom all ungodliness. He's taking it out. He's separating the wise and the foolish virgins. The wise virgins are those that oil in the lamps. You read that in Matthew 25. Oil in the lamps, those are ones that have a relationship with Jesus. They're on fire for God. They have oil in the lamps. They have a relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing we need right now is to have a relationship with Jesus and get our mind renewed to the Word. Amen? Amen. So now, um, the devil is trying to bring the Antichrist on, uh, onto the earth to take charge of everything. But we're going to stop him and resist him so that we can get more souls saved. And then when Jesus returns, we can go and the devil can have the rest. But we are going to have revival. Right. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, not a defeated church. Amen. He's coming back for a victorious, triumphant church. The five wise virgins are going to know how to use their authority Amen. and walk in the power of God and demonstrate the living Christ in the world today. We're going to show the goodness of God, the love of God, and the provision of God like Noah's Ark in the Old Testament, the doors were open for those to get in to be saved, but they didn't want to. And the flood came and they drowned and died. You and I are Noah's Ark today. We're going to introduce people to Jesus. And as soon as they know Jesus, they saved from this world's trouble and problems. And they will not miss the rapture if they'll just fellowship with God. Amen. Fellowship with God is the key to staying in the ark. Amen? Amen? All right. So, when we use the name of Jesus, then, we, then the forces of God's ability go into action. Our job on earth is to enforce the victory that Christ won through His death, burial, and resurrection. So that my job on earth is to enforce the victory that Christ won at Calvary. His victory belongs to us, and we, live, we should live in that victory, and we should ride the wave of that victory. The wave comes, and even non-surfers can ride it, praise God. Even non-surfers can ride it, praise God. Not one single time in the New Testament did God ever tell us to ask Him to chase the devil. There's not one time in the New Testament where God said, ask me to chase the devil for you. Not one time. No, God told the believer to do something about the devil because God's given us the authority to do something about the devil by using His name, the name of Jesus. Now, the least newest member of the body of Christ has the same authority to deal with the devil as the greatest saint of God, whoever that might be. The greatest saint of God, whoever that might be, has the same authority to use over the devil as the brand new baby Christian. Now, you know, if you've ever watched um, some of these safari channels on TV or been on a safari, you'll have seen um, when... Uh, a, a new animal is born, or um, an animal is born, like a giraffe. It's amazing to me that 
that skinny little giraffe can stand those legs right, right away and walk. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? I mean, they shake him, but they walk, follow their mother, right? Now, can you imagine a baby born again Christian, just born again, can command the devil in the name of Jesus and the devil will listen. Right. Satan will listen. And he has the same authority as the greatest saint of God. Jesus has done all he's ever going to do about the devil. The next thing Jesus is going to do is lock him up in a thousand years, for a thousand years in a bottomless pit. But otherwise, he's not doing anything. He's going to do nothing about the devil. He's left that to us. Spiritual authority is very much like natural authority. See, uh, we don't have authority over each other. But we have authority over the demons. For example, so like my car is in the parking lot right now. I've got the keys. You have no authority over that car. Your car is in the parking lot. You've got your keys. I have no authority over your car. In the same way, you, make, you can make the devil stop harassing you through other people. See, people under the influence of demons who don't know the Lord might be harassing you right now. I don't know. When I was working in the secular world, before I came to the ministry, there were certain people that I met who hated God, and because I was a believer, they didn't like me either, and I just kept my light shining in their, in their presence. But you can take authority over the demons that are driving them, and they'll stop behaving that way. They'll stop behaving that way if they're persecuting you. You can command the demon to stop harassing you through that person. But you can't cast the demon out of somebody unless they give you permission to do so. Unless they give you permission. Because whatever the person's doing that invite that demon into their life, if you try and cast it out, that person's going to say, well, I have permission from this person to be here. And you have no authority over them. So I don't have to come out. But if they give you authority, you can cast that demon out. I've cast out thousands and thousands of demons out of people in, in 50 years of being a believer in Christ. And uh, strangely enough, I've never cast out a demon from an unsafe person. They're all being believers in Christ. Let that hang for a minute. That's a shock. But... <laughs> It's amazing how many, because you see, unsaved people, you can't cast demons out of them. They need to come to Christ. Amen? Amen. Then you can help them. All right, so that's a whole new teaching. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> James 4, 7. Have a look at that. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Notice that. It says submit to God. What's that mean, submit to God? It means be a doer of the Word. That means live for Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, love the Lord, right? It doesn't mean go live in the world like the devil. That's not submitting to God. 
Submit to God, and then what? Resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Now, that word flee means run as in terror. So if you resist the devil, say, Satan, I resist you in the name of Jesus, he will flee from you as in terror. From you. From you. That's what it said, from you. You say, Satan, I resist you in the name of Jesus. He flee from you as in terror. So, the authority is yours whether you feel like it or not. Whether you feel like it or not. Some folks have more faith in their feelings than they do in the Word of God. So, they wake up, they don't feel good, and so they think they've lost their authority. Because they don't feel good, I can't tell the devil what to do. So, they've got more faith in their feelings, and God says, resist the devil, you'll flee. They say, no, that doesn't work for me because they don't feel good. It's not about feelings. It's about the Word of God. Amen? If I had to wake up in the morning and say, honey, I just don't feel married today, I'd be in trouble. It doesn't matter how I feel, I'm married. And when a policeman puts that uniform on and walks out onto the street and says, stop, the traffic's going to stop, whether he feels good or not. So when you say, devil, stop, whether you feel good or not, the devil's going to stop. Now go to 1 Peter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, some folks read it this way. The devil is a roaring lion and devouring anybody he sees. Didn't say that. It says he's impersonating a roaring lion and he's looking for somebody that'll let him devour them. Say this, the devil may not devour me. I won't let him. Then it says in verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. So we are to resist the devil. See that again now. James said it, now Peter says it. All right, now have a look at the same verse in the NIV. Be careful, watch out for your attackers, your attack. Watch out for attacks from, the, from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry lion, roaring lion, looking for some victim to tear apart. Stand firm when he attacks. That means you resist him. He did not say lie down and play dead. Some folks think that lie down and play dead, the devil will just pass by me. No, he won't. He won't. Some folks think if they put their head in the sand like an ostrich, when a lion's coming, then they can't see the lion, so they think the lion can't see them. Well, I'll just put my head in the sand like an ostrich, and I'll just imagine the devil can't see me. Now, that's not going to work either. We have to resist him. And unfortunately, some Christians will never learn to exercise faith or authority in their lifetime. Some Christians will never, unfortunately, learn to exercise faith or authority in their lifetime. It's like, that's like a man growing up to be an adult and he's sitting in a high chair and he can't feed himself. His mother has to feed him. He's never learned to feed himself physically. Imagine that. So, we see James says, resist the devil. Peter says, you resist him steadfast in the faith. And Paul said in 
Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. Which means you don't allow him into your life. You can if you want to, but don't. So you resist him, you won't. Satan can't take a place in your life unless you give him permission to do so. Jesus gave this kind of authority to his disciples, right? He sent his disciples to cast out demons. Is that true? Yes. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Hello, anybody home? Yes. Is that true? Yes. Is that in the Bible? Yes. When Jesus did that, had he risen from the dead yet? Had he died on the cross yet? No. no. Jesus had not bought or paid for that authority to be handed out yet. He had not bought and paid for people to be saved and to be healed yet. He had not received the greatness of that name yet because he received that after his death and resurrection. And yet the disciples were successful. The name of Jesus cast out demons before the cross. So if the name of Jesus cast out demons before the cross, then how much more will the name of Jesus cast out demons today after the cross? Mark 16, 15. And Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. So Jesus said, the believer will cast out demons. And he listed a bunch of signs that the believer will be able to operate in. Right there, Mark 16. The first sign, the first sign Jesus mentioned that the baby believer can do is cast out demons. In my name, will cast out demons in my name. There was the first sign Jesus mentioned that the brand new baby Christian can hardly stand up on his feet will be able to cast out demons. Say this, I'm not afraid of the devil. He's afraid of me. All right. Mark 9, 38. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. So John said, Lord Jesus, we saw somebody. He's not following us. He's not in with the in crowd. And he's casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he's not following us. We told him, don't do that. Do not cast out demons. You're not with us. You're not in the in crowd. You're not one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, so don't do that anymore. And Jesus said, do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name, in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. All right, let's think about this. Here is an unsaved man. He's not born again like we are. He was never given authority to use the name of Jesus by Jesus. Jesus didn't tell him to do that. And he's not even hanging out with Jesus' people. He's not an in crowd. And yet demons are listening to him when he says, come out in the name of Jesus. Say this. Having authority over the devil with the name of Jesus 
It's not about me. It's about the authority God gave to that name, which I have the permission to use. It's the power of that name, which I have permission to use, that gets the job done. Whether I feel good about it or not, whether I feel up or down, it doesn't matter. The name of Jesus is the same and always works. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, Romans 5, 17. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Those who receive abundance of grace. All right, so I've received the grace of God. So I've received God's mercy and grace. And by His grace and mercy, I am born again, bound for heaven. Not because of what I've done, because I just accept what He's done. You've done that too. You've accepted, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, which is all God's grace and mercy at work on our behalf, right? Now, if you will just walk in that grace, the grace that saved you, if you let that grace keep you, and let that grace give you victory in life, because that's the same grace, we don't stop walking in the grace of God when we live for Christ. Some folks think, well, I got saved by grace, now I'm on my own. It doesn't work that way. You're not gonna make it. We've got to allow the same grace that saved us, keep us, and succeed in life by the same grace. Say so this, I'm gonna succeed in life because I serve a good God, and He's taking care of me. Do you understand the plan now? Okay, now. It says, those who receive abundance of grace, that's you and me, and the gift of righteousness. See, I'm right with God because Jesus took away my sins. Say this, I'm righteous in God's eyes because I've been forgiven by Jesus. It's all grace and mercy. Now, the Bible says about you, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life. That word R-E-I-N, R-E-I-G-N, in life, through the one Jesus Christ. It's not reign like from a rain cloud. That's to reign like a king. That's to reign like a king. Right? So, God said we reign in life like a king. And how does a king reign? With his words. He gives orders. He gives commands. He takes charge. Correct? Especially the kings in those days. So say this, I am called of God as a child of God, an ambassador of God, representing the Lord to reign in this life. By the, by the humility of Christ, the grace of God, and the authority of Christ, I'm to live a victorious life. Amen. The Amplified Translation says, the same words in the Amplified Translation says, reign as kings in life. That's the Amplified Translation of the Greek. Reign as kings in life through the one, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. We are to reign over circumstances, over poverty, over disease, over everything else that opposes the Word of God. So that's the Word of God 
is the plan and purpose of God. And I am to enforce God's plan in the earth and stop the devil from enforcing his plan. Why do I get you to confess this? Why do I do that? Because you're renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. I'm brainwashing you. I'm washing your brains with the Word of God. Because your brains will be contaminated with doubt and unbelief. So I'm washing your brains with the Word of God. That's why. Say this, I go to church to get my brains washed. Hallelujah. All right. Um, now, I'm going to tell you three stories, like I do at the end of every service, every message, to help you understand how to appropriate these things in the natural realm, how to do it practically. All right. So, in 1995, 1995, Lester Sumrall, I invited Lester to come and speak in our church there in Johannesburg. How many of you heard of Lester Sumrall? Okay. Great, great man of God. Amen. He's gone home to be the Lord about 15 years ago, maybe a little longer. No, uh, no, actually, I think he went home. You can look it up. But I think he went home in 97, 1997. Okay. Anyway, uh, he came just two years or so, three years before he went home to Jesus. He was an old man. He went home at 87 years of age. And he came and spoke in the church uh, for a few days. And then uh, he went, we took him to go see some animals on a little safari and fellowship with him. And um, I asked him when he was there, I said, Brother Lester, Brother Lester, I want you to share your life story, all the experiences you've had in your life. I don't want you to preach because he had a wealth of information. I said, I just want to record your life on, on record, your life with God. Tell us about it. Your experiences you've had with God. So he thought about it and he wrote it down and he told us some of these, these stories. And he told us this particular story, which I'm going to share with you. In, nine, in the 50s, in the 1950s, he went and had a great, um, he went and had a missionary outreach for a few years in the Philippines. And he was having a real struggle to get people saved and change religions to come to Jesus. And, um, and he's praying and seeking God. And then he saw an article in the newspaper. The mayor of the town, the main city, put an article in the paper of this woman in a lunatic asylum, an insane asylum, in a padded cell. And uh, teeth marks would appear on this woman's body with saliva around the teeth marks. And as the teeth marks appeared on her body, she would scream in agony, and no one could help her. If anybody got in the padded cell with her, she was like 10 men. She had the strength of like 10 men. They would be beaten up, and they had rescued them. They could not help this poor woman. They would just see the teeth marks, even on her back. The teeth marks would appear with the saliva, and uh, something was biting her that they could not see. Some giant creature was attacking this woman that they could not see. So, 
Um, the mayor said, is there anybody in public, in the public that can help this woman? So he went to the mayor and he said, I can cast that demon out. This is a demon. I can cast it out of this woman. But if I do and I succeed, I want you to give me the freedom of the city so I can preach the gospel to your city. So he said, fine. Pleasure. I agreed. So he fasted and prayed for three days. Then he went to see this woman. He went into the cell. They locked the door behind him. And this woman spoke to him in a man's voice. A man's voice spoke to this, to, that's the summer, to this woman. and said, I know who you are. You are Lester Sumrall, and today I am going to kill you. And he said, in the name of Jesus, come out of that woman. And that demon left, threw, him on, threw, on, threw on the floor, rolled around, demon came out, woman is fine. Perfectly fine. So she got set free, healed, served Jesus. And um, the mayor gave him the freedom of the city. He had a major revival because everybody heard the news about this in the papers. And uh, thousands got saved. And David Sumrall, his niece, uh, his uh, nephew, took over that work and passed the church. And today they've got about 20,000 people there as a result of what happened with that miracle of that woman's being delivered by Lester Sumrall. Now, I know David Sumrall well. He's a he's, uh, nephew. He's on Dr. Cho's board with me. And uh, so that whole church there is evidence of that woman's deliverance. So you can see that by taking authority in the realm of the Spirit, he was able to change the circumstances on the natural. Where they could not get people saved, all of a sudden everything broke loose and a revival took place. See that? Now, in, 19, uh, in 1996, I was woken up at 2 o'clock in the morning with a terrible burden in my heart. I felt like somebody was dying that was very close to me. And uh, I was grieving. I was sad. I was in great sorrow. And I got out of bed because I didn't want to disturb Pastor Bev. And I went downstairs. I knelt on the tile floor, put my elbows on the settee. And I said, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. Pray now. Pray this burden off. What's going on? You see, the Holy Spirit will give you a burden of something you will experience when somebody dies if you don't pray. You'll go into the future and experience it so that you can deal with it before it happens. So I began to pray. I said, Holy Spirit, I hand this problem to you and I began to pray, yield to Him to pray. So I prayed in other tongues in my heavenly prayer language. Now the Holy Spirit just anointed me and I prayed out fervently, just like a freight train going down the, the, the track. I mean, I was just effortless. And, um, and after about half an hour, I said, Holy Spirit, who am I praying for? And I knew in my heart right away, I'm praying for Jacques, our youth pastor, that he was going to die if I didn't pray. 
So I prayed for Jacques from two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, the sun rose, and I stopped praying. The burden lifted. I sensed joy in my heart. I felt like singing. And that was a Friday morning. So I had breakfast. I thought, well, I'm going to go work out at the gym. I got in my car, I reversed out the garage, and as I was reversing out the garage, the gates opened, and in drove a car and parked, and it was Jacques, I youth pastor, the young man I've been praying for. So I just said like that, so he, we were, he was full-time with us at the time. So I said, come on, and he sat in my car. I said, Jacques, I need to tell you what happened last night. And I told him what happened, and I said, now, I want you to know the devil's going to try and kill you. But I've prayed through for you, and I took authority over Satan. I bound him in the name of Jesus and released the angels to protect you. And the reason I'm telling you the story is because I want you to be alert, but I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be alert, but not afraid. And so he said, thank you. I went to gym. That was Friday. Sunday night after church, he's driving home. He dropped somebody off at their house, and he's driving home in the pouring rain. It's a thunderstorm. And he's driving along the N3 freeway where two major freeways meet at Bedford View. And uh, in the pouring rain, his little VW Beetle spins out and stops for no reason facing the oncoming traffic, and his car stalled. So cars are blowing their horns, their horns at him and driving past. And uh, he, uh, he gets out, if he turns the steering wheel, locks it to the right. He uh, jumps out the car, gets behind it, and he pushes his little VW off of the freeway to the side, to the curb. Cars are flying by, inches from his body, while he's pushing this car out the way. So he gets home and he phones me right away and tells me the story. I said, wow, Jacques. I said, weren't you afraid? You're in the middle of the freeway in the pouring rain. The cars are flying by at night. It's 10 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night. And, and, and these cars are missing you by inches. Weren't you afraid? He said, no, I remembered that you prayed about the devil. And I knew I was safe. Just like you told me, I was going to be fine. So I was just pushing the car off the road, not even worried about these cars flying by <laughs> in the slightest. And he says, but now that I'm on the phone talking to you, he says, my knees are having fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see how that by taking authority in the realm of the spirit, we changed the devil's plans in the natural. Can you see that? All right, one more story. In 1992, uh, we took a tour to Israel and Egypt. So Pastor Bev and I took seven tours in our, while we're in the ministry, seven tours to Israel so far. We haven't been for quite a few years now. But that particular trip we took to, to Egypt and Israel. We went to Egypt. We went to uh, one trip. We went to Greece and Israel. But anyway, so uh, we're just about to go. We've been advertising it. So somebody comes to see me and says, I heard you announcing you're going to Egypt. I said, that's right. He said, I need to tell you the story. I feel compelled in my heart to tell you. I said, fine, tell me your story. He said, I've just come back from Egypt. 
And our tour bus stopped at the permits. I said, we're going to the permits too. He said, well, we stopped at the permits. And uh, a whole bunch of hawkers came around our bus with all sorts of Egyptian trinkets to try and sell us as tourists. And uh, I was with this one man, and uh, this guy's trying to sell him a carob beetle. Now, a carob beetle is a real beetle that exists in Egypt. And then they make, Im they make imitation plastic ones that look real. And they worship these beetles in Egypt. It's one of their gods, one of their gods. So this guy's trying to sell this carob beetle to one of these, this, these tourists. And he says, no, I don't want it, I don't want it, I want to buy it. So eventually, he says, you can have it for free. He says, no, I don't want it for free. So he takes a man's hand, he puts it inside his hand and closes his hand. The guy keeps the, 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 the carabiddle, gets on the bus and they drive off. They hadn't gone just two, three hundred yards when this man falls out of his chair in the aisle of the bus, his eyes roll back, he's biting his tongue, and foam's coming out of his mouth. So a bunch of men jump on him and start casting the demon out in the name of Jesus. And they're casting this demon out for about half an hour, and nothing's happening. And all of a sudden, one of the men sees this guy's hands closed like that, tight. And he pries it open, he finds a carabiddle, and they throw it out the window, bang, and the demon comes out. The guy's totally normal. So he tells me, he says, now, be careful about those carabiddles. I said, fine. And I told out to her, don't take those carabiddles, no matter what happens, because it opens a door for the devil. You see, we can't have demonic worship thing, items of worship in our house. You, you with me? Some of these people put satanic tattoos on their body. I feel very sorry for them. That just opens the door for the devil. Some of these emblems you can see. Now, I'm not talking about Jesus loves you tattoo. I wouldn't do that either. But I'm talking about these demonic tattoos. You can see that that's a satanic tattoo. Why do that? This is opening the door to the devil. Hello? I mean, how can anybody have, you know, be that dumb and still breathe? So anyhow, um, so I told him not to do it. And we toured all over Egypt, and we went to the museum there, and we saw the throne of the, Egypt, of the uh, uh, pharaoh. I don't know if it's a real one or the replica, but, and all over this throne was cab beetles. So here's the thing. You can't have trinkets in your house of satanic worship in your house. You can't do that and think you're going to be okay. Right? How silly can that be? It's like some of these people, you know, there's some acid rock music where these rock and roll stars actually take lyrics from COVID meetings where they invite demons to come out of hexagrams, and the lyrics and the words that they use to invite these demons, they put them in rock and roll music, and people play them over and over and get possessed, and they go nuts. Are you still tracking me? Yes. So don't get on devil's playground if you want to have authority over him. Right? right? right. Stay free of all that junk. Amen. All right, so you see then that by taking authority 
over the demonic spirits, we're able to bring that man back to health and healing and deliverance on that bus. So this, if I can control the demonic spirits in the atmosphere around me, I can dominate my circumstances. So this, the devil is doing more things, doing more things to try and harass me in my life than I ever imagined. And I need to be alert to his ways and take authority of him. Last night, we were watching the news. We got home. And I don't want to give you the full details, but a man of God who's in politics was being harassed by somebody of great authority and influence. And so we watched this being portrayed on the news. And so Pastor Bev and I spoke to the demons that are working through that person and commanded them to stop harassing this Christian through that person in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, we've got to control the circumstances in our country with, with the authority of Jesus. If you just let those demons carry on doing that, they're going to run this planet. We've got to stop that. Jesus is coming. Let's take charge until he comes and we can go. Then he can have it. Amen.